This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Happy Tuesday, another edition of Sportsnet Today here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. I'm Logan Gordon, joined uh, alongside by my outstanding producers, Cam and Taylor, this afternoon. We are here in the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios in Calgary, Alberta. For our friends at Doug Lacey's Basement Systems, cracked foundation, Boeing foundation walls. They have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement-y. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Lots to get to over the next two hours. Pat Steinberg will join the program in hour two. Big story of the day, the Toronto Blue Jays open up a series in Baltimore against the Orioles. We'll get to uh, lots of Jays conversation in just moments. Also checking on the stamps today. Patrick Dumas is going to have our Stampeders report. They're getting set for a Friday night showdown in Toronto. Taking on the Argos. Also, WPCA Insider Report as we check in on the Chucks. Jason Glass going to join us in hour two. Some NHL news to pass your way today as well. The Tampa Bay Lightning signing up another member of their core to a long-term deal. Brandon Hagel, the former Chicago Blackhawk, has signed an eight-year contract extension with the Tampa Bay Lightning worth $52 million. Uh, it is an average annual value of five, uh, $6.5 million, excuse me, and it starts in the 2024-2025 season. Career highs in 2023 with goals, assists, and points in 81 games. We'd also have five points in six games for the Lightning in their first-round matchup against the Toronto Maple Leafs in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Go back to uh, 2022 when he was acquired from the Blackhawks in a deal that cost them a first-round pick in 23 and 24, plus prospects Taylor Radish and Boris Kachuk. Uh, Hagel originally made his uh, NHL um, presence known when he was selected by the Sabres in the sixth round of the 2016 NHL draft, but made his debut with Chicago in 2020. Uh, playing parts of three seasons with them before joining Tampa Bay. Just 24 years old. He's got 132 points in 211 career regular season games. So a big contract extension handed out for Brandon Hagel with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, again, eight-year contract, so max term on that at $52 million in AAV of $6.5 million for Hagel in Tampa Bay. Uh, also, uh, wanted to pass on the news. We've heard this earlier today. The MLB announcing 
that Wander Franco was placed on administrative leave indefinitely by Major League Baseball today while authorities in the Dominican Republic investigate the All-Star shortstop for an alleged relationship with a minor. Uh, he will be paid and receive service time while on administrative leave uh, because of an agreement with the Players Association, but uh, they did not set a timetable for a decision or whether he'll be disciplined or not. He's been on the restricted list since August 14th since MLB launched an investigation after a couple of social media posts uh, popped up and they've been working with authorities in the Dominican Republic since to uh, follow up on this story. Uh, depending on what you've heard, it doesn't sound as though uh, the future for Wander Franco and, and baseball is looking very bright right now, but we'll let the uh, bodies and the investigations that be um, get their investigation done. And as of right now, he doesn't have any timeline as to when he could return uh, to baseball after being placed on administrative leave. We will talk about the Toronto Blue Jays in just a moment here, but a piece of Jays-related news. Just a few days after being DFA'd by the Jays, Paul DeYoung has a new home in the MLB. He signed a major league deal with the San Francisco Giants. That comes from USA Today's Bob Nightingale. Jays designated him for assignment on Saturday, just 18 days after acquiring him from the St. Louis Cardinals. He was awful as a Blue Jay, going three for 44, zero extra base hits in 13 games with Toronto. Essentially a defensive fill-in for the then-injured Bo Bichette. But once uh, Bo is back in the lineup now, including Dijon's struggles at the plate, uh, clearly made him expendable as the team has now gone back to Santiago Espinal as the fill-in in the infield. Dijon, uh, not a long-term Blue Jay, that's for sure. But uh, clearly still some value. Elsewhere in the league as the Giants hone in and bring him in on a major league deal uh, on this Tuesday. But yes, that's what we're focused on today. It's the Jays and the Orioles, a massive series for the Toronto Blue Jays as they kick off a series against the first place in the AL East, Baltimore Orioles at 77 and 47. The Jays enter action out of a wild card playoff spot, uh, one game back of the Seattle Mariners, who have won five in a row, including a massive win last night, 14-2, over the Chicago White Sox. It's the first of three for the Jays in Baltimore. They've had their struggles there all year long. They'll turn to Yusei Kikuchi on the mound tonight. He's 9-4 and four with a 3.44 ERA, over 128 innings pitched this year for the Jays. No doubt been a great story, but would only add to it if he could help the Jays pick up a win against the Orioles. It's something that uh, Caleb Joseph, former MLB catcher and now Sportsnet analyst, talked about with the guys on the morning show a little bit earlier today uh, on the big show was these struggles in Baltimore and how the Jays can kind of find their way to a few wins in Baltimore. Here's what uh, Caleb Joseph had to say with Matt Rose and George Russick a little bit earlier today on that. Fresh set against the Baltimore Orioles uh, gets going here today, Caleb. A team that has had the Jays' number, it's well-documented. Sometimes team just does that over the course of a season. What has maybe been the, been the most perplexing problem for the Jays in this series, because or in this season series, because they've had struggles with the bats, they've had more struggles with the pitching than we usually see this year? What's been the, the biggest thing for you? For me, it's, it's just been capitalizing on their opportunities with runners on. When you look at kind of the Orioles and how they've done it this year, they have they have really taken full advantage of all those opportunities. I just remember the very last 
set this these three these two teams played three game set at, at Rogers Center and I was I was doing the radio with Wagner and it was just amazing really to watch the team the Orioles that is just not really do anything crazy special it wasn't like they were hitting four or five home runs a game they were just so opportunistic with their offense and when they had a guy take a walk they found some way to get him to second base whether it was a dirt ball read or a wild pitcher base uh, a stolen base and then they found a way to get him in and, and it wasn't always the homer and so the Blue Jays have had a ton of opportunities they've actually generated more opportunities this year than they had last year it's just a matter of kind of getting them in now they are coming off of a really nice game Sunday's game in Cincinnati where they think hit five home runs they really really swung the bats well and you can start to breathe some of that confidence into other series if you continue what you've done and so if you look on paper the Jays should beat the Orioles every time they're better starter starting pitching their bullpen is is in my opinion now better than the Orioles bullpen their defense in my opinion is better and they run the bases so it's now these the hitting is going to be the separator so it's been kind of this theme for the team the entire season is they have kind of three of the four massive pieces of the puzzle ready to go. Can they swing it enough? They're generating chances. It's just continued success with runners in scoring position that, in my opinion, is going to kind of determine their fate and will, for me, determine their fate in this uh, set against the Orioles. That's Caleb Joseph, former MLB catcher, is an analyst on Sportsnet Broadcast, sometimes joins uh, the radio broadcast team as well across the Sportsnet radio network. And, I like how he put it. Three or four things this season have really gone well for the Jays. It's starting pitching, defense, bullpen has been great. But the offense is still the thing that's holding this team back. And go back to the beginning of the season, would anybody have guessed that was going to be the biggest hindrance to this Blue Jays team? I don't think anybody expected this team to struggle with runners in scoring position or struggle to get runners in scoring position at key times. But that's, as Caleb said there, that's been the story really all year long. Even in this Baltimore, or excuse me, the last series against Cincinnati, first two games, the Jays score one run. They're lucky that their pitching and defense has been able to keep them in games and they're able to win one of those two. But they need a lot more days like Sunday. And I'm not saying five home runs every single game is, is what the team needs to do, but... Get a couple guys on base. Get uh, at least a few of your key guys contributing on a consistent basis. And, yes, it starts with Vladdy and getting more production out of him. But, I mean, Bo Bichette coming back into this lineup has to be massive for the Jays. Even with his time off, he's still the leader in hits in the American League with 147, uh, 20 behind the MLB lead. He's second Um in AL average at 320. His uh, war is at 4.3. That's top 10 in the American League. So they, they have a guy that's going well, but he needs some help, and that's got to come. Brandon Belt and Kevin Kiermaier hitting home runs should be bonus for this Jays team, not the, the main contributors to this offense. And unless they get that, it's going to be a tough you know run here to the end of the season. And... It's got to start. Now is the perfect time. You need to show some success against a good team in the Baltimore Orioles 
And I, I went through the standings with you before we, we heard from Caleb. You know, you're a game behind now. You're not being hunted by anybody. You've got to start winning some games. The Mariners are winning a lot of games right now. Uh, you've got to try to match that however you can. And the playoff race, only going to get more interesting as we come down to these final few months of the season. Craig Goldstein is an interim-in-chief for Baseball Prospectus. Joined uh, Blake Murphy on Jays Talk Plus a little bit earlier today to talk about the playoff scenario that the Jays suddenly find themselves in now with this whole scenario with Seattle, some of the other teams that are around them, what they need to do if they want to try to get in there. Because all of a sudden, when you're on the outside looking in, it feels a lot more crowded than it did a few weeks ago for the Jays. These next few weeks, very important, according to Craig. Looking at the American League wildcard race in general, Jays running out of time here a little bit. They're, they're only... You know, they're only a little bit out of a wild card spot, but when we talk about things like Vlad or they're hitting with runners in scoring position, normalizing, you know, we're down to the final 35, 40 games here. The Mariners are suddenly red hot. The Astros and Rangers are in target range for, for the Mariners. Um, this tight, an American League wild card race. Uh, what do you make of it? What do you make? Are the Mariners and, and this hot streak for real? Do, would you still lean toward Jays and Astros? How do you feel about how this is starting to shape up? Yeah, I, I think it's going to be really interesting between the Jays, Astros, Rangers, who are, you know, all of a sudden they've lost, what, four in a row. Um, and, and you know, those those four teams are, are really tightly packed. It's not a new observation. But I do think, I, I actually, you mentioned the runners in scoring position thing, and, and the reason I said it might be unsatisfying with Vlad is I think it actually compares to the runners in scoring position thing, which is, Mike has dug into this too, right? I think he did this recently, but like, there's no great explanation for it. It's it, it's not it's not random, but it's not a repeatable skill either, right? Hitting with runners in scoring position. And I know he was just looking at something recently on online where he said, uh, you know, the Jays have had this struggle all year, and then they've been one of they were one of the better teams doing it of the last three weeks, right? Of hitting with runners in scoring position all of a sudden, and it's like, well. You know, this kind of thing, again, it's not quite random. There's there's an execution aspect to it. There's a there's uh, a, an intent from what the batters are trying to do and what they're executing and all that kind of stuff. But it also is uh, somewhat luck to some degree, right? And I, I think with Vlad, this kind of stuff, the hope is that, again, not that it's random, but like you're saying that he is as – he's doing things seemingly right and that eventually that they will go right – uh, in, in terms of uh, the top-line outcome for the underlying processes. And I think you have to hope the same thing for the Jays. I think the concern, you know, when I look at this, I was surprised to see in the standings that the Mariners had actually a better run differential now on the season than the Jays because I know they've won 20 of their last 25, but they've won seven in a row now. But I thought this is this is like a summer hot streak, and they've really kind of been – you know, as the kids say, mid for most of the season. Um, and I, I really expected the Jays to kind of be the better team overall. Now, run differential isn't everything, but I was stunned to see that the Mariners had a better one. And not only that, but they've outscored the Jays' offense this year, which, you know, I, again, just a surprise to me when I sat down and looked at it recently. That said, do I think the Mariners are for real? I, I think, you know, I think these teams are, are similarly situated. I think they are real. I do not think 20 of 25 is the real Mariners. Um, and and I, I, have all, I thought the Jays were the better team all year long. I, I thought they'd be doing better in the division. Uh, but I still think the Jays are probably the better team overall. If I was 
taking these two teams in in a series, I would pick the Jays. Um, you know, the, the, again, the Astros and the Rangers are going to be part of this conversation. Neither of them are running away with anything either. So I, I think that makes it a little bit more complicated, but also gives, you know, Toronto more options in terms of, of teams to beat to get into. It's not just them versus the Mariners. It's them versus a number of teams, which is a, a blessing and a curse in, in, in some way. That's Craig Goldstein, baseball prospectus with Blake Murphy on Sportsnet 590 a little bit earlier today. With a bit of a positive spin on it, if you're a Jays fan and you're looking at how the Jays can find themselves in the playoff conversation down the road here, and he's right, you know, Houston, not unobtainable by any means for the Jays. They have just 71 wins to 69 for the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, They're coming off of a series. uh, We started against Boston with a win last night, 9-4 over the Red Sox, but they've got some tougher games down the stretch too. So you don't have to focus solely on Seattle, who's been so good of late. But the the question now remains for this Toronto Blue Jays team is a a lot of what Craig said there, and you're surprised to see that the offense hasn't been as good as some of the teams around them this year. That's kind of been, for me at least, the biggest question mark around this team as a whole is are we ever going to see it? Is this clearly what the Jays are? They simply... Uh, an underachieving offensive team that we thought was going to be better, or do they still have the potential to turn into an offensive juggernaut or maybe not even an offensive juggernaut, more of the team that we thought they would be offensively. I I have a a bit of an issue thinking that they can't. Uh, There's just so much talent on this team, whether it's George Springer or whether it is Vladdy or, or somebody else on this team to step up and find a way. I mean, Santiago Espinal was a, was an all-star in the first half of last season, uh, Alejandro Kirk better the last couple of weeks, but still not at the level he was last year. So yeah, I, I think there's plenty of positives that the Jays could turn this around and could look more like the offensive team that we expected them to be. But as Blake prefaced his question to Craig there, the big thing is, is, is time's running out here. And if this is still the question mark, as we go through the rest of August and into September, then I'm sorry, once the 162 games are up, I I think you kind of, we kind of know what you are at that point. I don't expect it to, I don't expect this team to flip a switch simply once the postseason comes, if they're there. I have to be honest about that. As of today, they're not in a playoff spot. So the question is, if they're there, can they flip that switch? I don't know that you can. When the, the pressure becomes even bigger and the matchups become more intense, would you suddenly expect them to be a better team offensively? Probably not. But at the same time, they've still got around 40 games here to try to figure it out. And I think it's going to be incumbent on John Schneider to try everything he can with the lineup card to try to get creative and to try to put his players in the best spot to succeed. But let's be honest, it, it is on the guys that are getting paid the most. It, it's the George Springers, it's the Vladdy Juniors, it's those kind of guys at the top of the lineup that if they're not hitting consistently, if they're not driving in runs when they have the opportunity, then I, I don't know what kind of team we're really talking about. We're, we're talking about a team that's good, but probably not great. And I, I think the expectation for this team has been be great this season. We'll see. It's a 505 first pitch tonight. 
First of three in Baltimore. James, 69 and 56. Third in the AL East versus the Baltimore Orioles, 77 and 47. They're first in the AL East. Like you mentioned, Yusei Kikuchi on the mound. He is 9 and 4 on the season. The, also, uh, the Orioles will counter with Grayson Rodriguez. He is 3 and 3 with a 5.44 ERA in 81 innings pitched this season. He's got 86 strikeouts in those 16 games played. We'll get you more details on a game day with Taylor coming up a little bit later on. She's got your Tuesday edition of the Jays report as they kick off this series against the Baltimore Orioles. We will take a break. We'll come back on the other side, dive into a little bit of a football conversation. The NFL finished up week two of their preseason schedule last night with the Baltimore Ravens and the Washington Commanders. Usually very little to talk about uh, when it comes to preseason football of any kind, but a very unique NFL record came to an end last night with the Commanders picking up a win over the Baltimore Ravens. I'll tell you what that is and whether it matters at all uh, when we're talking about the NFL season for both of these teams. We'll also hear from Jordan Dijani uh, on a couple of topics around the NFL. That, as Sportsnet Today rolls on here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. We're here on the Doug Lacey Space and Systems downtown studios on this Tuesday. The day after week two of the NFL preseason wrapped up on Monday night. It was the Ravens and the Commanders. And one of the oddest NFL records of all time came to an end last night with a Commanders victory. Kick is good. And with nine seconds left, the Commanders are on top by one. 29-28 is your final. Sam Howell leads the Washington Commanders to a victory against the Baltimore Ravens. In the preseason, which hasn't happened in a very, very long time. If you weren't aware, that was 24 NFL preseason wins in a row for the Baltimore Orioles before last night's loss to the Commanders. The previous NFL record was 19 games in a row set by the Green Bay Packers Back in the 1950s. But yes, the Ravens going into last night had won 24 straight. And whether you believe them or not, there certainly felt like late in that game there was a little bit of added pressure for both teams as the Ravens tried to keep the streak alive, as the Commanders tried desperately to knock them back for the first time in the preseason in a long time. And it led to... Something that we don't often get in the preseason, and that was uh, some drama, and that's what we got. We talked about it. We heard it from John Harbaugh, post-game Ravens head coach, um, you know, who denied the fact post-game that these games are meaningless. That he, you know, he says, look, it's just disrespectful to any of my players who are out here trying to to win a spot that are trying to, to find their way onto the roster. It means a lot to them. And clearly the, the winning streak meant something to the Ravens, even if it didn't mean anything to anyone else, but it's in the past now. And we move on as the Ravens will start to uh, try to start a new streak next week as the NFL's final week of preseason begins 
on Thursday. And before you know it, regular season football just around the corner, but lots to figure out before we get there, including uh, another running back who wants out of town, Jordan, uh, Jonathan Taylor, excuse me, star running back for the Indianapolis Colts, uh, has been granted permission by the team to seek a trade. Of course, uh, the Colts wanting fair market value back for their running back. Uh, a first plus is apparently what Jim, Jim Irsay and the Colts would like to get for Jonathan Taylor. Good luck with that, given how the running back market sits today. But uh, as of right now, that's the, the biggest story dominating NFL headlines through two weeks of the preseason. Uh, to dive into more of that, uh, Jordan Dijani from CBS Sports joined our own Patrick Dumas a little bit earlier today to discuss the Jonathan Taylor situation and some of the storylines heading into the final week of the NFL's preseason. Uh, another quarterback uh, entering his second year, I will say, uh, Brock Purdy. Uh, he looks like he's going to be clearly, clearly the starter there in San Francisco, coming after after uh, off of his that elbow injury he suffered in the NFC Championship. Uh, and then there's Trey Lance, he who showed, mm, you know, not the greatest preseason performances, but he's also shown flashes of maybe what he can do. Well, what do you think is going to happen with Trey Lance here? As it is in San Francisco, as it looks like Brock Purdy will be the guy. Yeah, it's a good question because I'm sure that the 49ers would be open to moving Trey Lance yeah. to an interested team if they could get some kind of fair trade compensation. But at this stage, you know, considering all that's happened just over the past couple of weeks, maybe even this offseason, I don't think that there's going to be a team that gives the 49ers what they would consider fair for Trey Lance. Mm-hmm. So it, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. There is a quarterback battle in San Francisco, but it's not for the number one job. It's for the number two yeah. job. It's between Trey Lance and Sam Darnold. Darnold is a guy who the 49ers front office apparently loves. Mm-hmm. I mean, go back and look at their comments about this guy over the past offseason. So I don't know what's going to happen with Trey Lance, but I would imagine that his career further down the line, I don't know if it's going to happen this year or next year, next offseason, whatever it is, I feel like he's going to be suiting up for a different team at some point in his career. We talked with uh, Charles Davis yesterday, and uh, I, I brought up the question of, like, you, you, you put Philadelphia and San Francisco at the top of the NFC. What's that third team? And he thinks Detroit could be that team that could maybe knock off a of Philadelphia or San Francisco and get to an NFC championship. Do you agree with, with that Lions hype around there? Obviously, a lot of people love them this year, but maybe who's, who's the third team maybe in the NFC in your eyes? Charles Davis, that's a good guy. He was a University of, uh, University of Tennessee yep. star. I went to the University of Tennessee, yep. too. So you guys have some balls <laughs> on the show. Hell yeah. Oh, that's a good question. I mean, with the NFC, it's obviously unpredictable. I think the Cowboys are a team that's going to be probably around that top three, top five in the NFC. But the Lions, you know, it's funny because I'm actually going the other way. I think that we should bet some money on the Vikings to win mm, the yep. NFC North this year. I mean, the Lions haven't done it since, what, 1993? The Vikings just won 13 games this past season. I know that they lost Dalvin Cook and that their defense was absolute garbage, but they brought in Brian Flores to control that side mm-hmm. of the ball. You should expect some improvement on defense. The Vikings won't win 13 games this year, but I think that they should be very much in the running to repeat as division champions, especially with Aaron Rodgers gone. So, yeah, the Lions are an intriguing team. Uh, everyone would agree with that, but we may, be, we may be a little too high on them. I'll just say that. So I'm interested yeah. to see what they do. Another team quickly, the Seahawks. I really mm-hmm. do like the Seattle Seahawks this year. I mean, we know what they can do on offense, right? Geno Smith, the rated comeback player of the year. They just drafted Jackson Smith and Jigba. Young pieces all over the board. But you should check out what they're doing on defense. Now, the Seahawks defense, much
much like the Vikings, has been pretty bad over the past mm-hmm. couple of years. But they, they all of a sudden have some young talent in the secondary with Devin Witherspoon, Tariq Woolen. They got Julian Love in free agency from the Giants. They have probably four young, intriguing pass rushers on the defensive line as well. Oh, and by the way, franchise legend Bobby Wagner is back in the fold. Yeah. So I think the Seahawks are a team to watch in the NFC. I don't know if they can steal the division away from the 49ers, although it may be possible. But that's a team that could be built if they remain healthy for a strong postseason run. That's part of our conversation with Jordan Dejani, CBS Sports writer. Joined Patrick Dumas on the big show a little earlier today. Yes, two weeks of NFL preseason in the books. Week three kicks off with a doubleheader on Thursday. Steelers at the Falcons. Colts at the Eagles. And everyone wondering right now uh, about the future of Jonathan Taylor as the running back for the Indianapolis Colts. He has been given permission to seek a trade. Colts want a lot of value back. Seems like another typical running back situation that's just going to play itself out with the running back remaining with that team. Uh, teams not willing to pay up to keep their running backs, but certainly want the value back when they're looking to trade them. Almost a similar situation as Jordan mentioned uh, with Austin Eckler and the Chargers a little bit earlier on this NFL offseason. Couldn't come to terms on a contract extension. Doesn't feel as though the team's valuing him. Says, go out, look at go see if you can find a trade with another team. We want this back. Never came close, according to the Chargers and Tom Telesco. I, obviously, Jonathan Taylor's a, a lot younger than Austin Eckler, but Eckler's put up more touchdowns than anybody the last two seasons in football for a non-quarterback, and the Chargers couldn't find value in a trade there. Hard to imagine that anything comes up for Jonathan Taylor that the Colts are willing to work around. So the running back situation just continues uh, to be muddled when it comes to the NFL, but we'll monitor that situation over the next couple of weeks, like I mentioned Preseason week three gets going on Thursday, wraps up on Sunday with the Texans and the Saints. And then before you know it, week one is here. Thursday, September 7th, we kick things off in Kansas City. It's the Lions and the Chiefs to get us going on another NFL season. We'll take a break, come back on the other side. Hour two of the program kicks off. Pat Steinberg joining the program next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.